two verses in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. Now you remember what happened in chapter number 6. They came across Jordan and then they started marching around the walls. Amen. And they delivered Rahab the harlot and her family. Amen. And the walls came tumbling down. Right? So there was several instructions. There were instructions on what for them to do day by day. And then special instructions on that seventh day. But notice here, there's one set of instructions we left out yesterday morning on purpose. Now look at verse number 16, uh, chapter number 6, verse 18. And ye, God is speaking to the Israelites. And ye, if in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord and shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now look at verse number one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi. The son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord Jesus, God, I need you so bad right now. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, and I pray, God, that you'll help us to look into it, believing and knowing that it is truth, that it is not fallacy, that it is not fantasy, that it is not some curiosity that was wrought in the imagination of a man, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, instructed by you yourself to write down. And though these things be historically old, the truth of it is eternal and it is current. And I pray God tonight that you would help us, Lord, to accept what your word has to say. And Lord, we pray that you would deal with us how you would. And God, help us, Lord, to uh, submit to you. In Jesus' sweet holy name, amen, amen. Here we find the sin of Achan. And tonight I want to work through this chapter of number chapter 7. On this thought, the Achan that's breaking God's heart. There was a song back in the 90s by the Hoppers. A fellow wrote called, says, are you the Achan that's breaking God's heart? And it went through this chapter and it told the, the account of what we find tonight in these historical writings of these people. The central figure is a man out of the tribe of Judah named Achan. Now here's what we've got to understand off the top. Everyone who crossed Jordan was either too young or was born during the wilderness experience. All those of a certain age and upward who murmured and complained at the beginning of that wilderness experience, God allowed them all to die off. And so everyone who is crossing Jordan was either too young to meet that sin qualification that God laid out there, or they were born in the wilderness. Now remember these things. Remember these things. How were they fed every morning? Manna. Manna. How were they fed every evening? 
and, and, and there was the quail, right? The quail and the manna. And God brought water out of the rock. And there was a fire by night and a cloud by day. And there was the wilderness tabernacle that was brought. And, and, and there, was, there was a deliverance and there was, a, yes, it was a time of wandering, but there was a time of provision that God made. And here in chapter number 6 in our previous verses, he only, he only lays down one restriction. Just one. One restriction. Only one thing. Only one thing does he lay out in the conquering and the taking of Jericho. Just one thing. Just one thing. That's it. Not a list of 55 things. Not even a list of 10. No. One thing. But here we find the sin of Achan. And notice this. In the first, that was, as we read this, God does not single out Achan at first. But once named, once named that the anger of the Lord was not just singular to Achan. It was on all of Israel. Because that's how he had designated in verse number 18 and 19. So there is this sin, and you can find it throughout this chapter, verse 1, verse 11, 12, 13, 15, 16. It always lays the sin to the whole of Israel. One man's sin who did one thing, broke one rule, and all of Israel stood under the wrath of God. That's, 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 that makes me tremble. When I think of the consequence of sin that I could commit... And how many other people it could affect. Right. Look at verse number 2 through 5. Look at verse number 2 through 5. So here they are. They've got the anger of the Lord's kindled against the children of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for, for they are but few. So there went up thither the people, about 3,000 men. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shabarim. Then smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Oh my goodness, what has happened? What has happened? Not only do we find the sin of Achan, but we now find the suffering of Israel. The suffering of Israel. Number one, they underestimated their enemy. They underestimated their enemy. They trusted in their strength, their own strength. They, they didn't consult that we find with the Lord before going up against Ai. And also, I would point out this. There has been no examination of themselves of whether they are ready to go into battle. Have they done all that God commanded? Have they done anything that he did not command? And so there's this sadness, this suffering that comes of, of Israel. Now look at verse 7 through 9. And Joshua said, uh, look at verse number 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, even uh, until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou, thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. <laughs> oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? <laughs> For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? <laughs> Wait a minute. 
Joshua is a warrior. Joshua is a champion. Joshua is a conqueror. And there's one little defeat, one little bit of resistance, one time of defeat. And what does he do? He goes to pieces and he starts echoing the words of his forefathers. Would to God we'd stayed in Egypt. And he says, oh, it would have been just better for us to stay on the other side of Jordan, Lord. Well, look what God says. Look what God says to this sadness, this sadness of Joshua. Joshua, who has gone from victory to defeat, to despair, to regret, and just just absolutely, now he wants to retreat. Boy, he's a pitiful thing, isn't he? Look what God says in verse 10. Look what God says in verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? You know what God says? Same thing you say to your two-year-old who's pitching a fit in the grocery store and you drag him by his hand and his body's just limp. Get up. Come on. Come on. Get up. And all those people are like, I'm videoing. (laughs) And I want to say, hang around because you ain't seen nothing yet when I pull this belt off. You know what God's saying? Get up, boy. What's the matter with you? You're a warrior. You're my leader. You're the leader of my people. Get up. Get up. You can't lay there and waller in it. Get up. There's a conviction of God that's seeking right here. He knows that Joshua's sad, but he's missing. He's showing Joshua that he's missing something. Look again in verse number 10. The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Mm. He is is reproving. He is reproving Joshua. He is rebuking Joshua. He says not only get up, but he says wake up. Wake up. Look at verse number 11. Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. Sanctify the people and say sanctify yourselves against tomorrow for thus saith the Lord God of Israel there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning therefore ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel." So what happened? Look in verse number 16. So Joshua rose up. You think God's got to say that to him a second time? Get up! No. Verse 16. Joshua rose up early in the morning, brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan 
the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. I want you to see the seeking of conviction. The seeking of conviction. Here, Joshua is given the, the Lord's instruction on how to handle this instance. This is an instance. This is something that they have not faced specifically. But there have been times back through the people's history, the, the people of Israel's history, where there was, specific, there was specific sin and there was a very specific punishment. Very specific consequence to a specific sin. Notice this, that the, the, the Lord revealed the hidden sin. He revealed the hidden sin. And notice this, his discernment was exact. His discernment was exact. They went down through those families. They went down through that tribe and they got it down to one man. Now, how did they do that? You just, it depends on who, which commentator you want to read after. Some would say that the Urim and Thummim, the, the stones in the priest robe might have one of them gone dull and that would be the stone for the tribe of Jews. I, I don't know. Some say casting of a lot. It, it doesn't matter. God put his finger on it. Right. God put his finger on it. The discernment was not Joshua's. The discernment was not the priest. The discernment was God's. And the discernment was exact and the conviction was exact. Now, we use that word conviction a lot. In the New Testament, the word conviction is not used. What is used is the word rebuke and reproof. He is coming under the reproof of God. He's coming under the reproof of God. John 16, verse 7 and 8 explains that. He's talking about the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says that when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What that means is what we call that is he, we get under conviction over our sin. And he has placed Achan under conviction. You know what a con somebody who's under conviction, somebody is convicted of a crime, that means that they are found guilty. Right. He's found guilty. But notice the compassion of Joshua. Notice the compassion of Joshua in these verses. He said, I pray thee, give I pray thee glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. There's a compassionate, humane approach from Joshua to Achan. He is respectable in his rebuke. Let me just, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all been saved less than two years? Anybody been saved less than two years? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. There's something that doesn't get explained a lot to young converts. And I find this a lot in Baptist churches. People who grew up in church and got saved in church, they deal with doubt a lot about their salvation. Here's why. Because when you're lost... God convicts you of your sin. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin because you're lost. But when you get saved, the Lord convicts you of your sin because you're saved. You need to get you need conviction under sin when you're lost because you need to get saved because you're going to hell to pay the penalty for your sin. 
But when you're saved, you're one of His. Amen. And so we continue, thank the Lord, to know the conviction, the reproof of the Holy Spirit when we sin. And if you don't feel reproof when you sin, if you can sin and get away with it and sin and it don't bother you and sin and sin and sin and you love it, you enjoy it, and it doesn't ever bother you, you've got a problem. If you can sin and get away with it and nothing ever comes about, about you saying, oh, that's not right. That's not right. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and punch you between the eyes and knock you down and hold you and try to choke you out until you say, I'm sorry. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. He does exactly what Joshua did. He said, give glory to God. Confess. Tell me and don't hide it. Don't hide it. There's a righteous reverence. And so what do we find here in 20 and 21? We find here that, that Achan confesses. Here's the statement of Achan. Of Achan, the statement of Achan in 20 and 21. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Here we find this statement of Achan. And let me just say this. His confession is real. This is not press conference. If I have offended anybody, I want to apologize if anybody was offended. In my statements of insensitivity, non-cultural, blah. That's not, that's not repentance. Right. That's not even being sorry. That's being told by a corporation, you got to go out and say, if I offended anybody, I'm sorry, so our stock don't go down. That's what that is. That's what, why Kobe Bryant's wife had a rock on her finger the size of a walnut. Huh? Why? Because he got caught. He knows he's caught. God has pointed him out underneath every single Israelite. He knows he's called. He might as well confess. And so he does. It's a real confession. And it is real repentance. He says his confession of his sin was unto the Lord God. He didn't fault anybody else. He didn't point to anybody else. He told what he did. He named it. He, he told what he took. Look at what he took. I think this is interesting. I think this is interesting. What did he take? Fancy clothes, silver coins, and a gold bar. Three things. Three things. Now think about that. Fancy clothes, silver coins, and a gold bar. Forty years in the wilderness. What do we know about those folks? There was no Walmart in the wilderness. They wasn't even a dollar general. And there's one of them every eight miles. Amen. That's probably one of them in Baghdad. I don't know. But what do we know about them? Brother Eugene, their clothes never wore out and their shoes never wore out. He wore the same clothes for 40 years. 40 years. Not made in China. 
40, now wait a minute, 40 years, I have a pair of boots that I got from my graduation in 1990, and I still got them, and I can still wear them. I don't, because there's a hole that big in the sole of them, but I've got a pair of shoes that's 30 years old. I got old clothes. I got some old clothes. I've got my Papa Borden's old overalls, and he's been dead since a long time ago, 20 years. I don't wear 40-year-old clothes. I got some 20-year-old shoes that I wear. I do. I got some shoes. I know they are. When me and Angel got married, her brother was her brother was like in college, and he like getting new baseball stuff all the time. He was always getting new stuff, so he's always getting rid of stuff. And so Angel was doing consignment thing, and he had these slides. They call slides these sandies, Adidas things with a little flippy thing over the top of them. And I said, we ain't selling them things. I said, I'll wear them. Where are they sitting right now? By the back door at our house. That's what I used to go outside. I go to the garbage can. I go to the road. I go to the mailbox. I still wear them. 22 years old. But I promise you, I hadn't worn the same set of clothes for 40 years. I haven't eaten the same food every day for 40 years. I haven't been around the same people every day for 40 years. I haven't done the same thing, wandering around, wandering around, wandering around, wandering around for 40 years. But the first time that Achan sees something beautiful that the world had, the first time that he saw some spending money that the world had. The same, first time that he saw some wealth that the world had. I wonder if he might have thought, I've been wearing the same clothes for 40 years. I've been walking around out in this wilderness. We've been trusting God. I've been having to eat the same thing every day. I deserve that. I'm, I'm taking that. I deserve that. And a Babylonian garment... John Gill tells us this would have been a, possibly a robe of royalty. They're in Jericho, but it's Babylonish. It would have been that if a king or a prince of Babylon would have come to Jericho, they would have had their own little apartment set up with their own set of clothes there just for a visit. He saw what the world had and he said, look at me. I want that. I want the world's look. I want the world's clothes. I want the world's spending money. I want the world's wealth. Mm. And he broke God's heart. So the secret is revealed. Look at verse number 22. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran into the tent. And behold, it was hid in the tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. The secret was revealed. It had been covered. The sin had been covered. But God made sure that it was uncovered. My preacher says this, and I'm sure he probably got it from somewhere. But I've heard him say it. He says this, if we will uncover our sin before the Lord, he will cover it. But if we cover our sin, he will uncover it. There is the sentence of sin in verse 24. Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan and the son of Zerah and silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons. Whoa now, his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses, his sheep, his tent 
and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. For the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor unto this day. There is the sentence for his sin. There is the condemnation of his sin. And then there's the collateral damage of his sin. It wasn't just Achan who died. It's his children, his sons and his daughters and all his animals and his tent and everything he had. And they stoned them with stones and they killed them with stones. They beat them with stones until the life was gone from their bodies. But it was Achan that stole Again, the commentators say, there's no way a family living in a tent doesn't know something like that goes on. Their silence was guilt. Their silence was concession. Their silence was condoning now, I don't know. We said it earlier. I don't know if Joshua, I don't know if Joshua didn't catch it or if Joshua didn't check. If anybody had seen, gone around the camp and say, did, yay on the victory, yay on the victory. Did you take anything? Did, did you take anything? Did she take anything? Did you take anything? Did you take anything? Did you take anything? Did you take anything? Did, I don't know if Joshua did that or not. If he did, all of Achan's household lied. But if he didn't, they didn't confess before they were caught. Mm. What a story. What a, what, a, what, a, what a turn of events. And all of it's because of sin. Every bit of it, every bit of sadness that Joshua felt, every bit of pain, every bit of embarrassment, every bit of pride that was crushed, every possession that was lost, every life that was snuffed out is because of sin. Right. It's because of sin. And Achan broke God's heart. But it could have been prevented. It could have been prevented. Sin is in our nature. We're Adam's race. Sin is in our nature. But sin is a choice that we make. Now, Nipsey Russell back in the 70s, y'all remember Nipsey? The devil made me do it. No. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away with his own lust. We choose to sin. We choose to sin. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. But I don't agree with this thing of this disease of alcoholism. I don't believe that. That's like having the disease of a, of a gunshot wound to the leg. Patow! I got a disease of a gunshot wound. Well, the only way you know that is if you took a gun, you put it in your leg, pull the trigger. Right. How do you know you're an alcoholic if you never take a drink? Right. I would say if you never take a drink, you're not an alcoholic. Right. Sin is a choice. Sin is a choice, and we have the choice to sin. Well, what did Jesus, what did the Lord instruct them before they went into the battle at Jericho? He said, He said, He said, do not, He said, do not do it. He said, in any wise, keep yourselves. That's what He said. In any wise, keep yourselves. You know what He didn't say? I will keep you from sinning. 
That's not what he said. He said, keep yourselves. What does the Bible teach us about us and our relationship with sin? He says over there in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, Paul said this, abstain from all appearance of evil. It's not that just we ought to sin. It ought not even look like we're sinning. That's over there. In, he said over there in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Make no prayer. He says, don't give the devil an inch. And I've heard it said, or he'll become your ruler. Paul said in Romans chapter number 13, verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what that means? When we sin, it is because we choose to sin, because we plan to sin. Proverbs 23, 31 says this about liquor. He says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That means when it's going to the fermentation process. He didn't say don't taste it. He said don't look at it. That's right. How are you going to drink it if you don't look at it? That's, right. That's how serious he thinks about it. He says that we're to observe ourselves. We're to keep ourselves from sin. Ephesians 4, 31 says it this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know what he is saying right there? Hate sin so bad that you throw it as far away from you as it can get. Because sin is a choice. And notice what he said back over there in that warning verse. He said, keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Sin is a curse. Mankind is under the curse of sin. We're sold unto sin. Amen? It's a curse that we live up under. Galatians 3.10 says it this way. Paul wrote this. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of law to do them. That means if we break one of God's commandments, we are accursed as a mankind without Christ. There is, I've been studying in 1 John. Did a study for weeks and weeks and even months in 1 John. And one of the, one of the key verses in 1 John is chapter number 2, verse number 15 and 16. Love not the world. Amen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, like Babylonians, garments, right. the world's money and the world's wealth and the world's nakedness and the world's books and the world's entertainment and the world's podcast and the world's music and all that. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Now here it is. Pay attention. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What Paul is saying right there, or John is saying right there is, the seedbed of all sin can be boiled down to three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. John Gill said that that Lust of the flesh is young man's sin. That lust of the eyes is middle-aged man's sin, grown man's sin. That pride of life is old man's sin. But I'm telling you, we're prone to all of them. We're prone as mankind to all of those things. And, And that definition right there is broad. That is broad, lust of the flesh. Well, there's 75,000 gazillion times three things that could be the lust of the flesh. And every one of those little branches that come up out of that that root have fruit. And they're all sin. 
And that lust of the eyes, that lust of the eyes, the things that we look upon, what did he say there? What did Achan say? He said, I coveted. He had just heard in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, it's recorded down there, thou shalt not covet. He named the specific law that he broke. And he named what he did. It was a coveting thing. That's what the lust of the eyes is. When we look at something that we don't have and we want what that is and we want it more than what we want them to have it. We want it, we want it, we want it, we want it, we want it. That's that lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. You know what they did in chapter 7 when they went up against AI without consulting God? When they were self-confident? They had the pride of life. We just whooped old Jericho. Uh, you walked over the wall. God did all the slaying. God, God did all the victory. He, he, he did all the conquering here. You know, it's like the frog that was riding on the back of the elephant that went across the river and said, Wow, we really crossed that river, didn't we? <laughs> Yeah, the elephants say, yeah, get out of my back. They're taking, they're, they're thinking too much of themselves. And you know what? When we think we can outdo sin and we think that sin is not a problem and when we think that sin has, we've got sin handled, we're really getting handled by sin. That pride of life, all these roots of things have many, many wicked branches and they all bear fruit. When then there is the conceal, there's not just this, this seed of sin, but there's this concealing of sin. What did Achan do? He buried it in his house. He buried it in his tent. What did, what did Joshua say to him? He said, hide it not. Hide it not. Chapter 7, verse 19 of our text. Hide it not. Numbers, 20, numbers, numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's some of the scariest words in the Bible to me. There's several things that keep me out of jail. Number one, I don't look good in orange. Stripes, Stripes maybe. And then there's all the stuff that goes on in jail that I want no part of. Mm -mm. I ain't even trying to get a ticket, speed ticket. I don't want a parking ticket. But there's bigger reason why I don't want to do anything that would land me in jail. Because I love the Lord too much. I want my life to be such that I love the Lord too much. I love the Lord so much that I don't break His laws. And besides that, if I do it and I conceal it, He's going to bring it out. Right. Give you a quick example. I'm not a big illustration guy. But let me give you this one little personal story. When I was in high school, we went to church. My daddy was a deacon. My mama played the piano. I mean, we were good church people. But I went to public school. And, and I was around all the people at public school that said all the public school stuff and did all the public school stuff. And I was around all the public school people all the time. And when I was at school, I said some of the public school stuff. Because I wanted to fit in. And I laughed at all the public school jokes. I ain't mad at you, public school. My mom and dad's retired public school teacher. My sister's public school. My, both my nephews public school teachers. You're fighting a battle right now that I never had to fight in public school. Because you're fighting against the government. You're not just fighting against knuckleheads and sinful teenagers. You're fighting the very government and the wickedness of Satan. But so anyway, what was I doing? Oh, yeah. 
So I was saying a lot of things. I was acclimated to the high school situation. Well, look, so we're on Sunday afternoon. Mama's cooked a big old lunch because we never ate out on Sunday. Mama always cooked. Amen. Come on. Chrome. And my sister made a big old gallon of sweet tea, and it was just going to be all right. It was going to be good. Well, something happened, and it was some sort of debate, some sort of question, some sort of problem. And I said, well, blank, why don't you do so-and-so? And one of them public school words came out. And I said, uh-oh. Maybe that'll slide. Maybe they didn't hear it. Oh, no, they heard it. And my, and my mama started crying. And my daddy started twitching. And she come around the counter. I ain't going to do it. But she grabbed me by the face with her left claw. And she said, what the hell? And she's giving it to me. And daddy said, hit him again. What the hell? You know what I never did again? I never let that public school business come out from my mom and daddy. And you know what I did? I started not trying not to be, say those public school things and do those. You know why? Because I wasn't planning on it, but the Lord made sure that my sin found me out. Because right. I wasn't about to confess it unnecessarily. Right. 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 They wasn't no need to make them out and say, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know some of these words I've been saying. <laughs> Y'all good? Okay. That wasn't happening. And the Lord knew that. And you know what he made sure? He made sure that my sin found me out. The, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15, 3. Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He knows everything. Daniel 2, 22 says that he revealeth the deep and secret things and knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his eyes, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 11.5, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them, scary thought. Hosea 7.2, regarding Israel, God said this to Hosea, and they consider not their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. The psalmist cried out in, 90, in chapter 90, verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. There's the conviction of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says it this way. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's right. Romans 1.10 says it this way. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. As I'm looking around the crowd, I, I think we are 100%, statistically, we're all 100% human beings. We all have sinned. I would be ashamed to see your list and you'd be ashamed to see my list of today's sins. Much less our thoughts. 
The Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I may not murder somebody with a knife, but Matthew 6 says, if I hate my brother without a cause, I'm guilty of murder. I may not shoot him dead, but I can murder him in my mind. I can think about it, and it is sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can look at Achan and say, Achan, how could you do that? As good as God's been to you, you've seen the miracle of the Jordan. You've lived through the wilderness experience. You've seen the conquest of Jericho. You've seen Rahab saved out alive. How could you do this? And he could ask us today the same things. How can you do the things that you do knowing what you know about God and after all that God has done for you? But there's a consolation. Amen. There's a consolation. Job 23.10 says, but he knoweth the way I take. You know what he does? He knows us. He doesn't excuse us, but he does know us. He knows our frame. The psalmist said in 103.14, when we think of our weariness and our weakness, he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows who we are. He created us. 1 Corinthians 10.13, there's no temptation that has taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be attempted that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He knows how weak we are. He knows how frail we are. He knows how susceptible we are to falling to sin. And so he gives us ways of escape. He gives us an exit ramp. He gives us a set of blinders. He gives us a choice to choose right. There's a consolation in that. But there's not a condoning of sin. Don't get him wrong. There's not a condoning of sin. Well, Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says this. David's, David's saying this. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. David, when he sinned, did not ask for God to give him a pass. There is a consolation. There's no condoning of sin in our life. There's an encouragement to pray when we sin. Isaiah 65, 24 says this, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You know a prayer that he loves to hear? A repentant prayer from one of his children. He, he loves to hear that. Not that he loves the fact that you sin. Sin, but look at me. He loves the fact that you will humble yourself and come before him and confess. used to watch little shows with the girls. And in the 90s, they had this thing where, like, all the parents, like, it was like, well, it was goofy. All the dads were stupid. All the moms were running things. I said it's stupid, ma'am. It's not, it's not crazy. And the kids were, like, getting away with everything. And this is what the dad would do. The kid would, like, wreck the car, run it off a bridge, kidnap three or four people, like hijack a big wheel, a big wheel, you know, a, a big rig out on the interstate. And then they would come to dad and dad would be sitting in his chair and little, little kiddo would come up to him and say, dad, I kidnapped somebody and I, I hijacked a big rig and I ran it off a thing. And the dad would say, I'm so proud of you for coming to me 
and telling me what you did. I'm very proud of your honesty. What? No. After they regain consciousness and I get out of the 30-day lockup, that's, that's, that's not what God is. God is not, God is not glad, God's not glad that we have sinned, but He is ready and willing to forgive. There's that confessing, the sad failures that we have. John 21, 17, when Peter has denied the Lord around the fire three times, and he comes to them, and he's on the beach. He's got fish on the fire. He says, Peter, lovest thou me? You know what he's wanting? Confession. And Peter says, Lord, knowest, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love thee. If we love him, like we say we love him, confession of sin is necessary. Getting right with him, being right with him. The psalmist said it in 139. He said, Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path when my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but Lord, oh Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He already knows about it. You ever, you ever been one of those parents that know that your kid messed up and they hadn't said anything about it yet and you're just waiting? Hey, anything happened today? Nope. It's all good. Are you sure? And you're giving them that shot, you know. Because you already know. I never understood. Well, at the time I didn't understand when my parents always knew my report card was coming home. And then I remembered, oh wait, they're school teachers. I could never hide it. Although one time, my sister got into college, mom was off at another school teaching, dad's working for the state, and there's a house in Albertville, Alabama on Beulah Road, and if you go to the first bedroom on the right, in the air vent, there's a report card. <laughs> well, now they know. They knew at the end of the year, trust me. But aren't you glad of this? Unlike Achan, unlike Achan, aren't you glad that we don't have to die for our sins? Why? Because Jesus already died for all of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. He even died for the sins of people who hate him. He died for the sins of people who don't even believe in him. He died for the sins of the good people. He sins of the bad people. He died for the sins of the terrorist and the politician and the Sunday school kid and the preacher. He died for the sins of all mankind. We had a penalty that we were under. We were under the condemnation and the conviction of sin. Sin had a penalty of death, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But God had a divine solution. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We didn't have to die for our sins, amen. He says, why do you trouble Israel? Well, Jesus was troubled for all of our sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He looked down and he saw me. He saw the wicked thoughts I'd have. He saw the wicked deeds I'd do. He saw the wicked words I would say. He saw everything from the forgetting to the end. 
Jesus was executed and laid down his life for the guilty. That's Romans 5 8. For God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that day that he died on that cross? He knew it all. He knew it all. I love to see an old drunk. I love to see an old drug. I love to see somebody who's been marked up and beaten up by a world of sin finally come to Christ. Amen. But there's some of us that got church saved off a church pew. I didn't get saved off a bar stool or scooped up out of a, scu- a gutter or a drunk tank. God saved me off of that row right over there on a Thursday night in July 1978 when I was six years old. And the majority, the overwhelming majority of the sin that I would ever commit in my life would be after I was saved. And he saved me anyway. What kind of God is that? Aren't you glad we don't have to pay the price like Achan did for one sin, one sin, one sin? And he lost his life, his whole family lost his life, and they made a memorial of this consequence of sin. Remember the memorials? The memorial in the water, the memorial out of the water, the personal memorial, the perpetual memorial. If you look through Joshua, you go look it up. There's stones stacked everywhere in Joshua. And all of them say, and they are there unto this day. Why? Because there's things that we want to remember. There's things that God wants us to remember. And the pile of rocks over Achan and all of his burn-up possessions and family is a reminder of us that there is a consequence to sin. Now there's therefore no now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're not under the condemnation of sin, but that does not mean we don't get convicted of our sin. And I cannot guarantee you that there won't be a consequence to your sin on this earth. But Jesus paid the price for your sin. Jesus is the one who died for our sin. Jesus is the one who paid the high price. He saw us in our sin and he purposed to cleanse us. He justified us, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He freed us. He freed us from the bondage of sin, Romans 8, 1. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation. Then which are in Christ Jesus. Now notice the last part. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. What is that walking? That's our daily choices. He said there's no condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit. What did Paul write? He said, walk in the Spirit that you may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we don't confess our sin, if we're too comfortable in our sin, if we let sin reign and have dominion in our lives, hey, That's a scary place. So what's our response? It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, amen, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, if any man sin. See, here's the thing that John tells us in 1 John It is the expectation that a Christian does not sin, does not plan to sin, does not intend to sin, does not give the devil any place of sin, does not make a provision in their life for any sin. But if we do, we have an advocate with the Father. Oh, he's ever interceding. 
And man, I didn't want to preach this message tonight because it's revival time. But I know this about revival. Revival can't come till people get right. That's right. Sister, come on to the pen if you don't mind. Revival cannot come. Look at me. Revival will not. God will not allow revival if people are not willing to get right. When the psalmist said over there, wilt thou not revive us? I'll tell you a reason why God won't send revival personally or to a church. Because people won't get right with God. And I'm not looking at you, accusing you of anything. Listen to me. When I prepare a message like this, God is going through my life with a fine tooth comb. And he is putting his finger on things. And he is making sure that I've kept short accounts with him. And I'm confessed up. And I'm not making a way for sin in my life. And I'm not planning to sin in my life. And I know this, I want revival. Amen. You say, well, Brother Adam, you're a preacher. You're in revival all the time. No, 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 no. I need revival. Right. I want revival. I hunger and thirst after revival. When you go through things in your life, you get beat down by situations in your life. When life presses in on you and life becomes too much and everything seems to fall apart at times, I tell you what you need. When you give and you give and you give, you need revival. Amen. Amen. The only way for you to have revival, the only way for your home, your family to have revival, the only way for this church to have revival is to be right with Him. Right. we got to do what Joshua said. Confess, give glory to God, and hide it not. Let's stand to our feet. Bye.